What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. Stop. You're hitting your mic, Kirk, and making all kinds of noise over there. What is happening? Kirk. I just, for a moment, I, you know how, like, old disc jockeys, they, like, used to, like, cup their 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 microphone, and they would talk, like, real close to it, like this. I, I didn't know, know was, that. No. I, I guess they weren't as sensitive back then. Yeah, this uh, is I was very just, sensitive. It was just like all like mechanical. You know how like in subtitles it says like mechanical whirring sometimes. <laughs> That's what this was in the subtitles. It would have said like mechanical clanking, <laughs> aggressive mechanical clanking. So Kirk decided to announce his presence in that way. But welcome, Kirk, as always. Thank you. Thank you. We are here uh, kind of discombobulated, obviously, today, but thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Discombobulated in more ways than one, because first of all, we are here to record and provide to you our review of The Matrix Resurrections, which is the review we said we were going to provide at the end of last week. Um, But then AT&T had some internet outages, like a lot of them in the area, and so we couldn't record on the day that we wanted to, which was not cool. AT&T, not cool. What was doubly not cool was that they tried to tell me that it was my uh, modem or gateway uh, when, in fact, there were widespread outages within like a 50-mile radius of us. So that was not sweet. Um, But here we are. Internet's working for now. And we're going to talk about the Matrix Resurrections, which I'm really excited about. And I mentioned it on our very last pod, Kirk. You are you are a Matrix guy. Is that safe yeah. to say? Like, are you okay with me, Don? Like, giving you that title? You are you like the Matrix? I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. Yeah, Kirk. Kirk's a Matrix guy. He has been all over me since the beginning of time. This is one of those. We, we were we just had a social post about what's that series or movie that you have promised to watch but haven't. For Kirk, it's the Lord of the Rings. Still to this day, for me, it has always been the Matrix. We did our um, PFB movie night last summer at sort of like the beginning of the pandemic and we did the matrix one and I was supposed to watch the second two, but I never did. And so this week I watched all of them. I watched all of them in a row, basically marathon mode, um, which was really fun and made it for a more enhanced experience. And I made sure, you know, professionally made sure that I was well equipped to actually give a a good, well-informed review for this movie. So here we are. Excellent. I'm proud of you. I'm very proud of Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have done a similar situation, but have not followed up because I watched the first Lord of the Rings, Fellowship yeah. of the Ring, uh, enjoyed it, but never watched the other two. And I mean, if they would just come out with a fourth one that's not a prequel, I think that I could get down with that. So whatever that looks like, um, they're all still alive. I think we can make this happen. Yeah. And, and then- well, I mean... Mm. I mean, there's, there, there are, there's enough literature to make to make it happen. Like J.R.R. Yeah. Tolkien and his his estate, uh, they they put out a lot of stuff. But that story, when you get to the end, you'll understand some things. But here's the other thing that you should know about the Lord of the Rings and why you should feel even more shamed faced for not having oh. watched them. <laughs> this is a this is a slam on you, Kirk. All three of those films were nominated for Best Picture. All three of them. Each one was nominated. That's pretty remarkable, especially since, I mean, they came out during a pretty stinky time in in movie history, I feel like, but still, like, there were only five nominees back then, The Lord of the Rings, so it's a a big deal, but we're not here to talk about The Lord of the Rings. We're here to talk about The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, Very excited to be reviewing this movie. This movie was supposed to come out on my birthday this year, 
and it did not, which is super sad. Instead, it released um, right before Christmas on the 22nd, I believe was the day that it released. It released on HBO Max and in yeah. theaters. Uh, Kirk, neither you nor I went to theaters to watch it. We watched it at home. Uh, right. So we'll see if that factors into it. But let's get into it. Who is on Synopsis? I don't know, but I did write a rather beautiful okay, synopsis. Okay, let's just, if I... just go. Just go. I mean, I think you're the man for the job here anyway. Thank you. Thank you. I also have a bit of a background for The Matrix for those who haven't seen anything, but they still want to listen to this podcast or they are still confused by The Matrix. Um, everyone's still a little bit confused by it because it's so heavy but and so layered. So The Matrix lives on in The Matrix Resurrections, as we had all hoped, as we saw at the end of Matrix uh, oh gosh, <laughs> they're all ours. Revolutions. Uh, revolutions. Thank you. Thank you. Revelation, revolutions, reloaded, whatever it might be. Resolutions, so, restitutions. We could make what are six, some other? We could probably make eight more movies, Kirk. Well, see, that's what's that's what's so great about this. And Keanu is ready to roll on all of these, I think. We've got another Morpheus Trinity. Okay, we're good. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is a psychological state of fantasy for the human race as the machines who have taken over the world harvest their bodies for energy. A select few of those humans have cracked the code of the machine's secret ploy and they battle against their own imprisonment. That's the Matrix in a nutshell. Very condensed version for you. So enter Neo. Neo is the chosen one. Uh, fights against believing he is. Then there's some doubt that he is. But then it's like, yeah, he's pretty much the chosen one. He can see code in real life, in real, the presumed real world, the Matrix within the Matrix per se, and within the actual Matrix plugged in, jacked in. And he's living an endless cycle of resets by the machines as the machines just attempt to go over and over and over uh, just making this this fantasy happen for them, and, and again harvesting the human bodies for energy. What they've realized is that they can't destroy Neo, uh, and they can't live without him. They've also realized this band of heroes. Uh, it's they're also just going to continue doing what they do. They're going to continue to f break out because their minds are too strong. And because their minds are strong, they also realize those are probably the people that they want the most energy from. So here we are, the Matrix Resurrections. The machines are trying a new tactic uh, to go ahead and keep Neo in a state of slumber by putting the history of his battles and accomplishments front and center right under his nose for him to question as his own virtual creation, a, a video game, a massive hit video game, uh, dream, distorted reality. So we get into this very, as everyone has stated on the internet, you've seen it, it's very meta, which they're using clips from the movie as the video game that Neo slash Keanu Reeves slash Mr. Anderson has created inside of this movie, The Resurrections, inside of the movie, The Matrix. It's crazy. I hope you're still with me. We once again bear witness to Neo's discovery of a larger world and his responsibility to it. And we get to see him all over again discover that there is life outside of the monotony of what he thinks is reality and what he thinks is controlling him and inhibiting him of becoming the better version of him and unlocking his full potential. That is the matrix revolutions resurrections. <laughs> <laughs> I was so close. You were, you were like, end. you were about to pitch a perfect game there. Oh, you were really close. Man, uh, it's well done anyway, that? Kirk, despite the blemish on the, on the end uh, with the title, but well done. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It, it's, 
it's in the pudding. It's a convoluted plot. There's a lot going on here, and this movie certainly, as any fourth movie would be, it does not stand alone, right? There's a lot of context, a lot of context that you need to have to dive into this. I think if you went into it, having not sniffed the Matrix prior to this, you would be oh. totally underwater. I mean, oh, I, I felt like... So I had just speed-watched the first three, and I still what had to rewind after the movie to catch some of the things that... I miss like particularly in the analyst's whole speech where he's revealing his master plan, mm-hmm. et cetera. I had to get like, okay, what's the, what's the motive? What are the driving factors? Why are all of these things happening? So there's, there is a ton, a ton, a ton to unpack, but we will determine if they unpacked it well and, and pulled it off. So Kirk, let's jump into it with our superlatives. Since you gave the synopsis, you get to kick us off by, announcing your first acting superlative who was your best actor let's hope i can say their names right my best actor goes to mr keanu reeves himself i mean your boy did the matrix back in 1999 here we are in 2022 and he's still killing it he's absolutely still killing it um lots of people criticize the way he looked to be neo but why would you want him to look the exact same in the fourth movie that makes no sense characters are forever being completely uh made over for each sequel and this is none none different so i'm very happy with the uh, with the kind of uh, renegade look that we get out of keanu reeves in this and his performance does not suffer because of it in fact it it plays it up it plays it into the storyline of all right, he writes code. He's a he is a he is a software engineer, genius, uh, ingenue, protege, and he goes ahead and, and creates this world, or he thinks he does, uh, of the Matrix, and he's like following all of these breadcrumbs, and then he gets back to his shaved head in the real world as we know it uh, on the ship, uh, getting jacked in and uh, and unplugged. So I think that. What Keanu does differently in this movie is that he plays an even more kind of Buddhist character uh, where he's like, hey, man, maybe I am the one I think I might be now. I really think I might be. But all I want to do is have peace. I want the world to have peace. And if I am the person to do that, here I am. I will use my skills to the best of my ability. And he plays it so cool and so calm uh, in, in such a uh, such a, a perfect way. And I'm just all here for it, all for Keanu all day long. Yeah, I'm I'm also here for Keanu. That's that's my pick for best actor. Um, I think what was so interesting about this, and people have tons of takes on Keanu as an actor, as a performer. You know, there are people who say that he, you know, doesn't have a ton of range and this or that. And some of those arguments are are with merit. But the thing about Keanu is that he always does what he is asked to do within the confines of the movie, range or not. Like maybe he's maybe he goes gravitates toward the same types of roles, whatever. But he picked up exactly where he left off as Neo and somehow brought himself totally back into the matrix. I mean, his performance was exactly the same as his previous ones. It was pretty remarkable to watch. And that's a difficult thing to do. There were other people in this movie who were being asked to do similar things. Um, Carrie Ann Moss was too. And I thought that she did really well um, also, but I mean, it was remarkable having like the way that I watched it going straight into the fourth one, you are struck by how different the fourth one is from the rest of the films. But 
the one thing that really sticks out is like, wow, Keanu is still exactly Neo. I mean, I don't know if he had to do character study or if he just lives with this character, but it was really well done. And not only that, but this is a more nuanced form of Neo where it's like a Neo reborn. He's like actually closer to where he was in the first movie than he was in at the end of the third one. So he has to have gone through that journey, not know it, and then remember that journey and and pulled together all the pieces, these past relationships that he had in Zion with Niobe and things like that. And he just really rolled with it and delivered it in such a graceful way. Um, we know that he does his own stunts. That can't go unnoticed. I mean, jumping off, he did a 46-foot or a 46-story jump. They said he had to film it 21 times or something like that, That's 21 right. takes. That's remarkable. And there's a ton of hand-to-hand combat in this movie that he was involved in. It was a... It was a Neo performance, and that is remarkable to do, you know, nearly 20 years after the fact, you know, probably like 15 or so since the last one. But even so, I mean, to be able to pick up that character like you haven't even missed a beat is is a pretty remarkable thing to do. So has to be Keanu. Especially on the ship with the shaved head again. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't aged a day with the beard shaved and the hair shaved. And it was as if they filmed those scenes in anticipation for a fourth one. But it's impossible because, of course, we have all of our younger, new uh, characters in there. But it was so incredible. You're exactly right. It it looked like he stepped off of that set and just went in. I mean, at this point, I'm convinced that he's pulling a a Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale prestige, that he has a twin, (laughs) maybe a younger brother that he froze in time. And he said, Hey man, we're going to do a fourth one, but it's going to be a minute. So I'll come and I'll come wake you up in a little while. Okay. I mean, it was absolutely insane. Yeah. They had to like kind of build it into the plot. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> they're like you haven't aged very much i was like this is ridiculous now i know that like 60 years were meant to have passed and that's why it was but that was that's pretty that was pretty hilarious um all right let's move into scene stealer lots of newcomers into the cast jonathan groff jessica henwick yaya abdul mateen one of our personal favorites yes. uh but kirk i gotta know where your scene stealer is going this one was a very easy one to give the award to my scene stealer goes to miss jessica henwick who plays bugs she's over there which way am i but the over there toward yep. the box i wish my hand could go above it like far 3D. right of your screen yeah all the oh wait 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 oh no i get cut off blue hair all the way over there okay she is wonderful you may have also noticed her as the only good part of netflix's iron fist um (laughs) she she is such a baller um without uh, she actually had to um she was offered a role in shang chi and she turned it down because the scheduling conflicts with the matrix resurrections which she was conflicted about um because she likely would have resurrected her same character in in that movie um but i think it was a good move I think it was a good move to to really show her range and to show a, a very complex character. Um, obviously, the one she played in Iron Fist, if it would have shown up in Shang-Chi, would have been wonderful. But this was cool to see. And I still think um, that th- doing that, I think she's going to have even a better chance of going back into Marvel because she owned this role. It was completely built from the ground up. We haven't seen this character before. Um, she just discovers that she is part of something bigger and she she taps into it and then she finds her hero, Neo, the legend. She's like, it's real. Oh my gosh. She finds Morpheus. She goes into all of this and she 
basically puts the band back together. I mean, with the opposite of Yoko, she she puts everyone in a place where she's like, this is what we need to do. Do you guys remember how important you are? Humanity is at stake. Let's get out of this computer program. She's absolutely phenomenal. Um, her her passion for for driving everyone out of there, her her fighting skills, her combat skills that she already had honed in on Iron Fist. Um, however, completely different styles in this. Absolutely impressive to watch. I can't go on enough about her. Jessica Henwick, scene stealer, done deal. Yeah, you said it was easy, Kirk. It was easy. Jessica Henwick is my pick <laughs> as well. I mean, th- these were the two obvious choices. I feel like in the movie, you know, you look at the cast, you know, Personally, I expected to lean towards Yaya. He didn't get enough screen time. Um, you know, Jonathan Groff, you could argue the same thing there, Neil Patrick Harris. But even for a scene stealer, I felt like Jessica Henwick was the obvious choice even among the newcomers just because of, because of a lot of the reasons that you said, but because the level of difficulty of her role is is pretty high. I mean, she's an original character dropped into the fourth film in the franchise. She is experiencing the matrix through a whole different lens, like this whole new matrix, but she's also got the back. She was sort of like born and raised in the post Neo in the post Neo real world. And so the way that she builds that character and builds like what has happened, you know, she is sort of telling us what has happened in the real world just through the way that she acknowledges Neo, the reverence with which she, you know, sort of, talks to him and and her understanding of what he's going through. And then the way that she introduces us to the new world before we're, you know, kind of handed off to Niobe to sort of explain some of the things that happen. But Jessica Henwick is meant to be the, you know, she's the first person we see from the real world interacting with Neo in the matrix. And she's also the one that brings him out of the matrix and back into the real world. So she really is that conduit, that liaison between the two. And she balances it, so well. I mean, she is like our spirit guide on this journey into the new matrix and into the new real world in this new city of IO. Um, and it's really well done. She's not overacting. I think this role was, you could have really easily made it super annoying and like overacted it and, and made it sort of a mess. And Jessica Henwick did. And she came off as totally cool under control. Um, not like, all-knowing, but just sort of like self-contained in her role, didn't stretch it too far, cool, confident. It was like, it's hard to introduce new characters this late in the series, especially when this is a series that has its own massive fandom and it's old and all this stuff. But she did it in such a way that you were like, hey, this is a breath of fresh air. I actually want to learn more about this character. And she kind of the way that she performed it made you want to ask more questions about, well, what's going on with bugs? She's a, she's a really cool character. So it had to be her. I mean, she was just totally gravitational. I mean, she's just pulling your attention towards her and pulling, pulling eyeballs toward her because she was doing such a great job. So I'm with you. I want to see her back in the MCU. I want to see her doing more things. I think that's definitely coming. If she had competing offers for Shang-Chi and the matrix resurrections, I mean, those are, big time movie offers. So more is coming for Jessica Henwick and she, she definitely deserves it. All right, let's move into the production. This is, this is going to be interesting. I want, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Kirk with based on your, your love of the original trilogy, but let's get into showstopper and talk about, and this is Lana Wachowski is the director. So only one of Mm -hmm. the two Wachowskis left standing. This is a bad, bad year for, uh, 
sibling duos who make films <laughs> as the Coens have also gone their separate ways. But Lana Wachowski uh, guiding us through this new Matrix movie. Kirk, I want to know what Lana did that you really liked in this film. So this is where I think we diverge on different paths because I don't know that you would like this, but maybe you will. My guess is that you don't. My showstopper was actually the meta storyline, the idea that Neo created all of those fantasies, that the, he didn't live those realities within the old versions, uh, the old iOS versions of The Matrix. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I had uh, heard all of like the spoiler free reviews before watching this and everyone's like, okay, deep breaths. This is a very meta movie. Yeah. And every single review was like that. And I was like, well, what does that mean though? What do you, do you know what that means? And then you get into it. You're like, okay, okay. You meant it. You really meant it. Um, but I never thought that it went overboard. I never thought that it jumped the shark. I never thought that, I was annoyed at it or it was that it was laughable when it was presented. It was all done very carefully, very thoughtfully, very meaningfully. Um, so I think that that actually played well and made this version of The Matrix Resurrections meaningful it made it have a purpose like why did we need a fourth movie why what was the next story to tell and it was that it was a continuation of this trickery of the machine and just this this longing for uh of, of humanity in this world where which which uh, neil patrick harris's character explains so so well and even jonathan groff says the new uh, mr smith or Dr. Smith in this case, if you will, uh, that we get a sense of we have lost sense of reality because of what we're addicted to and what we crave uh, through our phones and through our video games and and the lack of connection. And I feel like that meta storyline really, really played well with giving it a, a firm foundation to jump off from. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get into that more, Kirk, and see if you're right about your prediction on mine. But for me, with my showstopper, I am going in a different direction. I'm going with the, um, the glam up of the real world. You know, they totally glammed it up a little bit. So when we last saw the real world and Zion and all of that, I don't think that was the best final impression that they could have given us in Matrix <laughs> Revolutions. We kind of had this, like... <laughs> water world indoor sort of thing going on just like all these grimy yucky you know revolutionaries kind of like fighting with cgi robe like cgi machines flying at them in their giant cgi robot things it just like it was a bit much i think like that's that's the thing that sticks with me about the series is like you build up to this big final battle but the final battle is so much of that last movie and it feels so off color from the rest of the series that it's just kind of like a weird thing. It's kind of like the complaint people have about the Ewoks in return of the Jedi, where they're like, this was a huge chunk of the movie and this just doesn't feel very star Wars. Like I don't necessarily agree with that argument, but I feel like it's a similar argument to what they have in revolutions. So this, this was much needed. So we're 60 years into the future from whenever we last saw that movie. And so they had a lot of ground to cover, but also if you're going to make a sequel to The Matrix, you have to, have to take advantage of the latest 
advancements in technology as far as you know CGI, visual effects, etc. And I thought it was gorgeous. I thought that the the real world when you're inside there, inside the city of Io with the machines, and now you've got people and machines, uh, you know, in some cases living harmoniously together, having friendships and bonds, you know, the interiors of the ship, they did a, they did such an incredible job of making it look like, you know, remember again, I watched all three and then went straight into this movie of making it look really familiar and and very much like those old matrix movies, but looking so much more polished, so much more pristine, adding things that weren't preposterous, but were necessary to make it look like a new movie and to give it a reason for going back to this world. And I thought the whole, real world got, I mean, just like way leveled up in this movie. I thought the city of Io looked great. I thought the, um, the cool, like how programs could come to life in those like nano nanobot, uh, projections yeah. like that Morpheus was a lot of the time that was really slickly done. That could have been really stupid. Uh, so overall just really well done, smart, um, very artful visual design. It, it, it wasn't something that they just, threw together and they were like, do this, but make it 4k. <laughs> like they just totally, <laughs> they thought about, they really thought about how they wanted this to look. Um, and it looked great. And I, I, I loved it. It was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. So shout out to all the amazing creatives that were working behind the scenes on that because job well done for sure. Yeah, it did. It was much more pleasant to look at. Like you, you understood in the other ones, why Zion looked like this dingy rat infested place that they love to throw raves at randomly. Um, But man, it was so great to see. um, I mean, it was Morpheus, right? Like it had, it had, let's be real. Naomi was the leader. Of course, it's going to get a woman's touch. Like everything was a lot nicer. (laughs) Clothes were better. Like Naomi's like, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing this anymore. You know, Morpheus was like war battle survive. Naomi's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta build something here. And man, she killed it. She killed it. And I love that, you know, we spent a lot of time in Zion and we spent a lot of time in IO, but now we, we knew that the final, the big finale had to be inside the matrix. You know, we had a back and forth and revolutions and this time it was all resurrections. So that was nice to see too. Absolutely. All right, let's jump over to the other side of this one and talk about some things that we didn't like. Kirk, kick us off with director shoes. This one is hard, um, and we might get our first uh, our first actual hate mail, like USPS hate mail for oh, this. Oh boy! If you can find us, <laughs> I gotta say that there's two things, two options here. Jonathan Groff, Neil Patrick Harris, they were either grossly miscast or misdirected. Because while their characters were very necessary, um, they were just off. They didn't, while they were supposed to be different from the rest and, you know, apart from this world, either one of them, Io or, uh, or the actual Matrix, they just didn't seem to fit. I don't think Jonathan Groff is believable as a maniacal uh, evil character when he screams Mr. Anderson I just want to poke his belly and have him laugh <laughs> because yeah. it's just not in him there, there's just not this um, there's no trauma at, at least uh, surface level trauma that Jonathan Groff allows us to see so when he when he dives into that as an as an actor I don't believe him um, I just don't believe him in, in that role no matter no matter what you give me um, there's plenty of things that he is so successful at 
and I want him to keep doing those things. Um, and then the other part of that was, was that a, the direction, the lack of direction to get him to, to what was, what should have been a better performance out of him as a seasoned actor on the stage and in film. Uh, I mean, he has um, uh, an incredible, uh, incredible list of, of film uh, uh, what do you call it? Credits, uh, as well as you know, he was the lead in Mindhunter on Netflix for quite a while, which got critical acclaim. Uh, so I feel like I don't know which one it is. And the same with Neil Patrick Harris. Your boy's been around since the the early '80s. He knows how to be on camera, but was he miscast or misdirected? It was a very different performance than I've ever seen from Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, it was a little similar to his Gone Girl character. Uh, you know, kind of this kind of a weasel, but uh, he has the information and he knows more than you and he's ready to throw it in your face. So that was still good. It's a good character, but it wasn't sinister enough for me to be afraid or for me to say, Keanu, Keanu is in real danger here. Like, nah, I'm like, Keanu can absolutely trick you. It wasn't about size or or uh, or strength. It was really about the level of intellect. And I was like, nah, Keanu's got you, man. So the, the, the lack of you know, built in um, believability was just not there for me on those two characters. And I don't know which one it was direction or casting, but that really, really messed with me on this movie. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I feel it a lot with Neil Patrick Harris when, when we get to the, you know, the sort of finale of the movie, it just doesn't, it feels like a very lackluster finish to this movie where the stakes were seemingly enormously high though vague in nature you know the stakes were sort always sort of vague as they kind of have been at times with the matrix because it's always like choose this or everyone dies and it's like <laughs> okay but like how <laughs> you know like like how do they die uh it was sort of the same thing here and when you get to the finish with neil patrick harris and carrie ann moss and, and keanu roll in on him and he's like that scene was so strange where he's like, oh man, <laughs> you know, <we're> like, <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it too. If it wasn't for these mangy kids, like that's, that's what right. it, that's what it totally felt like. Um, so I totally see that. I can definitely see that. Um, for me, I, I, I mean, I think this movie has some real issues. If, if I can be honest, like I think the plot is, is extremely convoluted and very, and very complicated. And I think that there is, some reason for that. Like, I think I get what they were trying to do with it, but I just think that if you can watch the first three movies and be tracking the whole way and do it within the series of like two days and then watch the fourth movie and be like, Whoa, rewind. This is, <laughs> I am lost. I am confused. And obviously they had to cover a lot of ground because the reality is this, the fourth movie was never really meant to be made. It wasn't. It was like I don't think it was ever in their plans. I don't think this was ever something that the Wachowskis considered until later on. I know that the original trilogy. I don't like the end of the original trilogy because they're like making a deal with the machines. Like Neo sacrifices himself so that the machines. Like you have to kill all the machines. That that like that should be the end of the series. But they had other things going with the Matrix Online and the Animatrix and all the like. They were trying to make some money, so I get it. But, you know, with this movie, because they had to sort of, you know, retcon some things and make some things come back, it makes the plot really kind of muddy because you have to go, okay, 
why are Neo and Trinity still alive? Okay, why is there this game within the Matrix? Why is there even a Matrix? Why you know you are left for the first half of the movie with tons of questions, and then the analyst Neil Patrick Harris comes in halfway through and sort of explains all of that stuff, and it's okay. Like it's it's an okay explanation. It's 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 enough to sort of satiate you until the end of the movie where you're like, all right, I'll buy it. Let's see how this finishes out. But then by the end, I don't think the payoff is enough to where you're like, this was a necessary thing. I think certain parts of it were necessary. I, you know, I get what you say about the meta stuff, Kirk. I tend to lean the other way slightly that it, that it was at times a bit heavy handed, particularly the scene with the Merv, the French guy from the, was he from the, the second, second. movie, mm-hmm. his scene where he's literally like Pointless. yelling things about Facebook and stuff like that. Like that was the part where I was like, okay, you took it a bit too far. And I thought that the whole thing outside, like I didn't think that that was necessary. Kind of like you said, Kirk, like I, I don't, I don't think his appearance is necessary. I don't necessarily think that agent Smith needs to be in the movie. So there are certain things where it's like, why, why are we doing this? Are we doing this just to, fully cash in on the franchise and, and to, to as some fan service, which, which, you know, I get it. I'm, I'm about fan service sometimes, but does it makes, does it also make sense within the confines of what we're trying to do here? Um, I also thought like Morpheus, like a few small things like Morpheus's new role was interesting, but we never really delved very far into it. Like he was really kind of just a gadget character and Yaya Abdul-Mateen is such a powerhouse actor that just felt like, a real missed opportunity. And there were just a few things that we just never really got explanations for. Like, why is it that Keanu, like, why is it that Neo couldn't fly in the new matrix until the very end? I don't really understand that necessarily. I don't really understand the, and maybe this is just me being ignorant, but I don't really understand the the point of the modal that they're, that they keep talking about in the game. Like he built this modal and that was how Jessica Henwick's character was able to get in contact with Morpheus, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lot, it's very stuffed and I don't necessarily think that all of it works. So, Mm -hmm. yep. I think the modal was, you know, they wanted to appease the real software engineers and say, listen, we did our research here and (laughs) this is, (laughs) I really do. I really do. It's kind of like when you watch, um, uh, Jack Ryan and, uh, John Krasinski, unfortunately says SQL. I I know SQL (laughs) instead of SQL. Right. So it's the jargon, right? So I think, I think that's where the modal comes in and and why they reference it as, as like, basically it was, he was reaching out. That's his, that's his arm. Um, But I feel you, I feel you on that. And I feel like if, um, if Neil Patrick Harris was more again, sinister as we had in the architect from reloaded. I mean, when he, when that man appears in matrix reloaded, you're thinking, what is happening? What is this bright white room with all these televisions? You're thinking, yeah, everything he's saying is important, but I understand none of it. And you are just like hanging on every word he says. And you're like, is that nonsense? Is that real? Is that nonsense? Is that real? And when you get Neil Patrick Harris, you just don't have that, that level of, of just, absolute well that guy's german like in real life like that actor is german so you, he doesn't have the same command so again is it direction is it the actor right so i also i feel you on a lot of that um i think that 
um, I think the flying thing is there was a lot of criticism that why why was Neil a flyer? Uh, what was the purpose of him being able to fly in the movies? Yeah. Um, or fly so frequently, right? Like he was just, if he was able to fly all the time, why wasn't he able to just like kill everything and, and be the hero, be the Superman character that he is? Uh, so I think that was actually a little bit of a nod like, he was too powerful. <laughs> so let's take away his just endless power to fly until he reconnects with Trinity. And then in a Hancock sort of way, Will Smith, Charlize Theron, uh, now that they're together, their powers are synced up together again. So, so I liked that. I, li- I mean, it's obviously people are like, this matrix is really a love story. Like I've seen a few article headlines. I haven't read any of it cause I'm trying to not, but mm-hmm. the whole matrix is a love story. Absolutely. The whole thing, like the whole story is love conquers all, right? Like right. that's always been the case. I don't, so I don't know that that's necessarily new. So it, it made sense that that was the story here. I, I felt like it was, you know, I feel like a lot of people that I've seen on Twitter are like, Oh, Trinity gets what she deserves here. And I was like, I feel like, yes, Neo was the one, but it was always clear that Neo's power came from Trinity. I don't right. think that ever had to be explained. Obviously, they did explain it in this movie, but I, I think it was always sort of obvious that that was the case with it. Right. But I think going back to your point about the architect, that reveal is so powerful because it's in the second movie at the end. You mm-hmm. know, like here they're taking basically everything that happened in that first trilogy, doing it again and squashing it down into one movie. And so the reveal just can't be that big with the analyst because it's like a, it's, you know, it's derivative of what they did the first time around and right. B like, we just got introduced to this guy. You know, right. we're not, we're not scared of him. It, the, the architect is scary because you've never seen this guy. And then he shows up and drops a massive twist. He's the first guy in the matrix to not be scared of Neo and be like, Oh yeah, bud, you're not the one you're number six. We've had, we've had this whole dog and pony show before. Right. Like, that's a great twist. This one was not a great twist. It was just like a, we need to explain why what is happening is happening, so let's do that. So, mm-hmm. anyway, let's let's Bravo. move into the final, final thoughts and scores and, and wrap up our review of The Matrix Resurrections. Kirk, you have the floor. So, another thing that was concerning was that we did get some hand-to-hand combat, but I feel like COVID, <laughs> as it ruins everything gave less hand-to-hand combat with Keanu. You could argue that, of course, his more Buddhist reality of, I'm just going to save people. I don't really want to hurt anybody. I just want to get through this and uh, kill the machines. Why Why harm anyone in the making? These bots, they're still, they still feel like they're people, right? Like, it's, it's all very, very, very loving, right? So I think that, but I do think because of COVID, we didn't get as many hand-to-hand combats as a threat of contamination. And I mean that because he gets this cool, new uh like telekinetic superpower where he can just like push 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 and block things like he already had it right but he gets like more like a force field uh level up in this that he just uses throughout the entire second half of this where i really wanted him to really just use his actual kung fu that he remembered um we even get some when he's traveling through uh some some alternate dimensions of the matrix where he gets attacked on that train and these some of the people have mass on and some don't and I thought that was really weird and unnecessary to like mark the time that this was made in um, but ultimately the if you cling to the love story which people hate which I'm like why do you hate love you you monster yeah you're sick 
<laughs> like obviously you're very lonely if if you if you hate that it's a love story like what's wrong with that um i think that if you can cling to to that part of this and the the strong performances then you get a stronger score out of this overall not a not a perfect movie by any means by any regards not not a top not a top 10 ever unfortunately um, and I don't think there'll be a fifth matrix, uh, but I still feel like it was, it was good. It was wonderful to watch when I, when I have my son and my daughter watch this years and years from now, uh, cause they're tiny. I feel like I will say, yeah, absolutely. Watch the fourth one. I won't say skip it. This gets a 6.3 out of 10 kernels for me. Yeah. It's, you know, lots of good points. I think it becomes, it becomes hard whenever you start to think, it's similar with the remake. Was this movie necessary? I think it's very, <laughs> I think it's very <laughs> tricky. I think it's, I think it's tiptoeing the line. I think they do enough to make it. I don't want to say necessary. It, it, it's probably not necessary, but I think they do enough to make it feel right in a way without making it like overly necessary like I think they I don't think they go that far to be like this is why we had to do this movie I don't think they ever had to do this movie I think that there was a way that they could do it with this plot and I think that it it mostly works you know I think the thing about this movie at the end of the day is that it's really fun you know it's kind of like the whole Matrix series overall the first Matrix movie is fantastic like it's very good it's very well designed it's very well structured um it was groundbreaking for its time. All of those things. The rest of the series is really just pretty fun, I, th- I think. And so I was excited to dive into this movie having watched the first three just because I had a really good time watching the first three. But again, if you look too closely at it and at the plot and at what they're doing, there are lots of holes to be poked and there are lots of things to really pick at. We've listed a lot of those things. So I'm in a similar ballpark with Kirk. I'm giving this a 5.9 out of 10 Matrix Resurrections. I would not skip it. I still think it's, I think it's above average. If if average is a five on the index, then I would say that it's above average. And I think I had a good time watching it, but I don't necessarily feel like it adds anything to the franchise. And that's where it, I think it really hurts itself because I think you go okay, this is where we were left at the end of number three. Here's where we're at at the end of number four. Is that better? Not necessarily. Is it the same? Kind of, I guess. Um, is it worse? Probably not. But it's it's certainly not like way, way better. And so that for me is enough to be like, you know, you probably didn't need to be here. So interesting movie, interesting concept. I I tip my cap to everybody who was involved in it because it was, it looked good and there were some good performances and it was fun. Um, but there are some things that it's just like, what are we doing here? Yeah, because we do end this one. It's at the end of uh, revolutions, right? So Neo's dead. The matrix is reset. Let's move on. Uh, this one is Neo is alive. Trinity is alive. They're both flying together. Uh, and they're saying, Hey, we're, this is our world and we're going to, we're going to keep it as our own. And it's a fascinating, a fascinating way to end it. Unless there's a fifth one, it's, which I can't imagine. Here's my thing with all of the endings. The machines should be dead. <laughs> they should be dead. Listen, like these machines 
were created by humans, turned on humans. I mean, it started started as an AI. At, you know, we've all know how that song and dance goes. Isaac Asimov. You know, like <laughs> they kill all the mm-hmm. humans, but then they're like. Or they're going to kill all the humans. Then they're like, oh, we can farm them for energy. Let's lull them to sleep in these terrible coma pods, fill yes. and suck their juices out and <laughs> use it for energy to keep our civilization going. Like, these are the baddest of the bad dudes. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why the end of the third movie is let's make a pact with the machines. And I don't understand why at the end of this movie, the matrix persists, the, mach- the machines persist. Like, I feel like that's a wrong that they could have righted here. Well, all I have to say to you is Terminator 2 Judgment Day is that it's oh. going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Machines will always rise above. I mean, we're, we're five Terminators in and the same thing's happening. Machine versus man. I know. No but matter the how whole, many times. It's true. And, and most of those Terminators are really, really bad, I would say. It's true. In general. It's true. <laughs> but. Three like, through seven are. <laughs> This <laughs> whole the whole pact with the machines thing just is, has never sat well with me at all. Like the the fact that Neo died for a truce with the machines is really, really terrible to me. It's really, really terrible. But here we are. Yep. Uh, that's the Matrix Resurrections. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you saw it, regardless of your Matrix fandom, what level you're at, uh, you know, Kirk and I obviously run the gamut. Want to hear your thoughts? Uh, was this a total money grab, totally unnecessary waste of time, or was it an amazing franchise reinvigoration? You be the judge. Uh, but us. thank you for listening to our thoughts. We we love to have you as always. I uh, want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, and the band that creates our original music, which you're about to hear right now. They're called Rhetoric, and that is all for us. See you next time. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.